covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. It is time for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks so much for being tuned in with us. My name is Matt Pauley. I am your host. Happy for the next hour or so as we talk all things Milwaukee Brewers baseball after what was a very busy week this past week, especially with them making a couple trades. We'll get more into that coming up uh, during our headlines of the week, and I'll speak uh, about one of them specifically here in just a moment. On the program this week, our featured guest, we are going to have J.P. Breen, one of the podcast co-hosts of the Milwaukee's Tailgate podcast. So obviously, if you're listening to this, you enjoy Brewers podcast. You can listen to that one as well. They do a great job over there. And also uh, Noah Novs from uh, BP Milwaukee is going to join us as we'll talk uh, about the Brewers minor league system. And our Down the Farm segment with Noah this week is going to have a little bit of a big league feel to it because we're going to spend a fair amount of time talking about the impact on the minor leagues of the trades that have been made this past week. want to jump off the program by getting into a couple things real quick. This week, we see the team go acquire Mike Moustakis. And with the acquisition of Mike Moustakis, Travis Shaw moves over to second base. I was pretty surprised. I was really surprised. Now, you've probably heard me say this before. I can't judge the beliefs of maybe a vocal minority or the beliefs of what seems like a lot of people on Twitter or the beliefs of phone callers that I get uh, during my post-game show on WTMJ, I can't assume that that represents the overwhelming thought process of Brewers fans across the board. All that being said, I've been a little bit surprised with the lack of excitement about the Mike Moustakis trade. They went out and they acquired a legit bat a guy who last year hit 38 home runs playing half of his games at Kauffman Stadium, still was hitting for power this year, and every indication would be that playing half of his games at Miller Park the rest of the year as a left-handed power hitter, he should definitely add to the run-scoring potential of the Brewers. Everybody seems to be really hung up on the Travis Schott second base thing. He's not going to be a gold glover. They're not going to get as good a defense out of Travis Shaw as they have with just about anybody else. But to me, it seems pretty darn clear that the added offense of having a Mike Moustakis and a Travis Shaw both in the lineup are going to completely outweigh anything you lose from a defensive standpoint. Uh, it's, It's clear and obvious to me. Like Sometimes there's these topics that we can get into really interesting conversations about and you can see both sides of the argument. You believe one side but totally understand where they're coming from on the other side and vice versa. That's what I love about baseball because there's so many different ways to look at things. As as tiring as the bunt conversation gets, you know what? I get it why there's a contingent of fans out there that want to see the Brewers bunt more because you feel like there should be a better opportunity to score a run and the Brewers value the opportunity to put up big innings more than they do to try to play for one run. But like, as much as I really don't even like talking about it because it's such a played-out conversation, I can at least understand 
where people are coming from on the other side of the bunt conversation, even if I completely, totally, and vehemently disagree with what they're saying. This one I, I, I have a hard time agreeing with, understanding any of that stuff. Yeah, they're going to take a step back defensively at second base, but it's not going to be a ton of steps back at second base. They're, they've got a guy at second base who's there's going to be a few balls he's unable to get to, and the evolution of him as a second baseman being able to turn double plays might get interesting. Maybe it costs the team a run here and a run there. But the amount of runs that they are going to score more by Moustakis being in the lineup and Travis Shaw being in the lineup at the same time, I would think is going to be exponentially larger than any runs that you potentially give up by Travis Shaw being at second. Now, Mike Moustakis has to hold up his end of the deal. He's got to hit. He's got to produce runs. You know, if he if he doesn't, then you then it doesn't matter, or it does it does matter if he doesn't. You're you're losing out because of the defense at second. But if, if Moustakis just does what I think he's going to do, uh, I I have no problem with the Travis Shaw at second base deal, and I think he's going to do uh, a pretty solid job over there. And If nothing else, it's going to be fun to watch. I'm excited about Mike Moustakis. I'm somebody, I've been following his career a long time. I was working in the Royals organization in his first full season of professional baseball. I was the broadcaster for their low A team at the time, was in the Midwest League. So I, I, I saw a lot of Mike Moustakis, and when you broadcast minor league baseball, you keep an eye on all the guys that you've seen uh, on your team and watch them as they continue to go up. So it's been it's been really fun for me to see all the success that he had in Kansas City, winning the World Series, going to a couple World Series, uh, just the way that fan base has been able to uh, completely uh, get behind him. So that's I think it's going to work out. I think the Brewers are going to have a very exciting player down the stretch who's going to help them pick up more wins. At the end of the day, the Brewers win more games with Mike Moustakis at third and Travis Shaw at second than they do with Travis Shaw at third and whoever at second. Bottom line, absolutely, 100%, no doubt in my mind at all, the Brewers are going to win more games with Mike Moustakis on the roster than they would have won if they don't make that trade. And at the end of the day, isn't that all that matters? Aren't trades supposed to make you better? You get better, you win more games, you have a better opportunity for postseason and postseason success and all of that. So it's a it's a slam dunk deal as far as I'm concerned. Is it a perfect deal? No. But is it a slam dunk deal? Sure. Yes, yes it is uh, to, to the way I believe. Also, one other quick thing, because the last time we talked, the Brewers were in a pretty rough spot. You know, they, they had that rough road trip right before the All-Star break where they lose the 7 of 8, including getting swept in a five-game series by the Pirates. And then they come out of the break and they lose two out of three to the Dodgers. And I'm not trying to discount the the bad things that happened during that stretch because I think you always have to be evaluating. and Not so much me evaluating the team, but from an internal standpoint, whether you're David Stearns or a Craig Council, Matt Arnold, a Mark Atanasio, whoever it might be, I think you always need to be self-evaluating and trying to get better. And, yeah, I think they could look at some things that happened over that bad period of play and say, okay, there's some things that need to be addressed here. But at the same time, I don't think you overreact to them 
because things do start to whip back around at some point. And as we speak right now on Sunday night, the Brewers have just taken three out of four in San Francisco. Prior to that, they won two of three against the Nationals. So they're getting back going once again, and I think that's a really important thing. Not that that period of losing means nothing. It does mean something. But if you were someone who was jumping to the belief that the season's over, they're completely tanking, they're not going to make it to the postseason, they shouldn't trade for anybody, all you're doing is giving away prospects because they're not playing for anything this year, I don't think you were correct on that. And I think it's good to remember that one week doesn't make a season, two weeks doesn't make a season from a really good place or from a really bad place. Again, this week on the program, J.P. Breen, one of the hosts of the Milwaukee's Tailgate Podcast. He's going to join us in just a few moments. Noah Nov's going to join us later on the program as well to talk all things uh, minor league baseball. But let's get to this week's Headlines of the Week. It doesn't matter if it's right in the middle of the summer or winter. There's always news about the Brewers. Let's look back at the week that was with Matt's Headlines of the Week. All right, so this week's headlines really center and focus around the trades that were made. And the Brewers got themselves uh, a couple really solid players over the course of the last week. And quite honestly, I don't have a lot of problem with what they gave up for either player. Let's start with Joaquin Soria. They acquire him from the Chicago White Sox in exchange for left-handed pitcher Cody Medeiros and right-handed pitcher Wilbur Perez. Medeiros was a top 30 prospect in the organization. He's somebody, though, that maybe has not moved up through the system quite as quickly as you would like to see a prospect move up. And part of that, that that contributes to why he's part of this trade because they were coming up on a point where you either add him to the 40-man roster or you risk losing him to another team. And the Brewers, with a deep farm system, this is going to happen on an every-year basis where they are going to lose those kind of guys because 40-man roster spots inside of winning competitive organizations are very valuable and they're very hard to grab onto. So something I think David Stearns should do and do as often as he can is if they've got players in the minor leagues who are top 30 prospects but are still not in position to get onto the 40-man roster, I would prioritize making those guys parts of trades because in all likelihood, not going to be in the organization moving forward either way. Also, uh, right-handed pitcher Wilbur Perez was part of that deal as well. Latin American player. I don't know a whole lot about him. Sometimes those uh, kind of guys, they, they don't show up on the uh, prospect list right away, uh, but he's a young guy. And uh, from what I've read, from what other people have said, uh, a guy that's certainly had some upside. So we'll see what he does as he moves through the organization. Uh, Soria is, is a legit bullpen pitcher had been closing for the White Sox, had another guy who's connected to the Kansas City Royals organization, spent some time there. And, and as as the Brewers are going to continue to have guys in the rotation, even if they do end up making another move and bringing in a starter, they will continue to have guys in the rotation that are going to give you five innings sometimes, going to give you six innings sometimes. And if you can go get that and have a lead and then hand it over to a bullpen that now includes... Soria, Jeffress, Knable, Hader, Burns, all those guys, it makes it that much tougher. And you're able to use more of those guys on the same game 
and still have something left over for the next day as well. The other trade was the big one. They acquire third baseman Mike Moustakis, who we were just talking about from the Kansas City Royals, in exchange for Brett Phillips and Jorge Lopez. This is another situation where you look at what they gave up, and yeah, Moustakis is basically a rental. There's a mutual option for next year, but mutual meaning both sides need to agree to it, and I'm not sure either side would uh, would agree to it. Uh, it's $15 million. I don't, I don't think the Brewers are going to want to pay Mike Moustakis $15 million next year, especially when you know Keston here is probably going to be with the team at some point next season. So you're able to move Travis Shaw back over to third, and that's where second base gets picked up at some point. Or maybe it does work out. Either way, uh, you Moustakis certainly has a possibility of being a rental for this team. Uh, that's the only maybe issue with this whole thing. But you give up a guy in Brett Phillips who I really, really like, who... I think what we saw from him at the end of last season where he was playing every day and had a ton of success in September, that's that's who I think Brett Phillips is. And I think in Kansas City, he'll be given that opportunity and I expect nothing but success from him. But he was blocked. There was just It was going to be a while until he was going to have an opportunity with the Brewers. And Jorge Lopez is a guy who was a much higher-ranked prospect previously uh, in his career. He'd been moved to a bullpen guy. Don't get me wrong. He had done a really nice job for the Brewers this year, but his job was to eat innings. His job wasn't to go be overly effective. His job was to eat innings in games that were blowouts. He ended up pitching to a sub-3 ERA. He ended up doing a nice job on it, but he was a low-leverage reliever that really didn't have much of a future in the organization, especially after uh, the uh, the Joaquin Soria acquisition. So you give up I, you give up two really nice players, but you give up two really nice players that didn't have much of a future in the organization. Uh, Brent Suter uh, was placed onto the 60-day disabled list. He was transferred from the 10-day disabled list to the 60-day disabled list, opening up a 40-man roster spot. Uh, that's uh, as a result of the torn UCL, and he's going to be out for the rest of the season, going to be out for about a year. Uh, and uh, that's a bummer. Jonathan VR is out on a rehab assignment. Uh, as we talk on Sunday night, he is with Colorado Springs. We'll be, uh, we'll be unless something else happens, and I always say baseball tends to work itself out, but if baseball doesn't work itself out here, the Brewers will have an interesting decision to make once uh, Jonathan VR is healthy and able to rejoin the team. Uh, they do designate second baseman Brad Miller for assignment uh, this past week, and uh, that's, uh, his status is still up in the air in terms of whether or not he's going to get claimed by another team, if he ends up electing free agency, if he's given the opportunity to go uh, back to AAA, whatever it might be, we'll know more about that over the coming days. Those are this week's Headlines of the Week. After every Brewers game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now. Brewers Extra the podcast is powered by WTMJ Mobile. It is time for our social media conversation. Very happy to welcome back on to the program. You can hear him over on the uh, Milwaukee Tailgate podcast. He is uh, at JP underscore Breen on Twitter. So, of course, it's JP Breen. JP, appreciate your time. How are you doing? I oh, can't complain. We've had a little bit of rest from the, uh, I guess, the summer heat. 
and the Brewers have been playing a little bit better, so can't complain. Yeah, it's um, we're, we're talking right now uh, prior to the Sunday afternoon game, so as we're speaking right now, we don't know what's going to happen in the series finale, but they take the first three in San Francisco, and that's after taking two out of three against the Nationals. So many people were walking off the ledge during that period of down play, and I'm not trying to completely downplay some negative things that happened during that period. There was obviously some things they need to work on, but what do you take away from the fact that they have been able to bounce back as well uh, as they have? Well, I think it's certainly been encouraging. I think it, it put into perspective a lot of things that kind of came together in that losing stretch before the All-Star break. It was partially injuries where I think they had, you know, that was when, when Thames and VR and and Davies and everybody was really going down. Guerra hit the 10-day DL, and they were really just limping into the All-Star break. But it was also the culmination, I believe it was 21 games in 20 days. Yeah. And it was it was just, it was a team that was tired. It was a team that just kind of had a run of bad luck at times. And it was a team that was struggling with injuries. So in some ways, it's not surprising as guys start getting back healthy and start coming off the DL that the team starts playing better. Um, but they've, they've had some, some luck go their way after this as well. But it really puts into sharp perspective how difficult it is to draw any big conclusions from a short number of games. And so just like prior to the All-Star break, that week-long stretch didn't mean that the Brewers were done and finished and collapsing. You know, it's it's equally true to say that this really nice stretch after the All-Star break doesn't mean that everything is fixed. Um, but just trying to keep those longer-term views, I think, can help keep the season in perspective. Social media can be a tough place, and I feel like sometimes for, for folks like me who uh, view a lot of kind of the, the, the narrative and the discourse about a team, when you view it through social media, maybe that doesn't represent completely the, the large-scale thought from the fan base. But, but all that being said, do you feel like at all that – this Brewers fan base, who has been let down by this team in the second half of the season historically, even though that has mostly happened with previous regimes, do you feel like that almost impending sense of doom for many Brewers fans plays into uh, the way they feel when a team goes on a, a week-and-a-half downturn? Yeah, I, I certainly think it does. I, I would suggest that actually most teams think that they're – you know, their favorite team is a history of collapsing, right? I mean, it, it does seem to not necessarily be Brewer-centric, um, especially, you know, having written for for Fangraphs and, and BP in the past and, and kind of covering teams from a larger perspective and having more fan bases kind of interacting on, on social media. It, it does seem that it's a larger phenomenon that everyone feels like their team has has fallen down, fallen through the cracks in the past, and that you know it's that, it, and it's real. I, I don't want to say pain because it's just sports, but I don't know heartbreak in some respect. Like you, you put so much time and effort in baseball over the course of months, and then to see it fall apart certainly has an emotional uh, piece to it, and you remember those those times that you felt disappointed. But I also think it's a defense mechanism, right? Everybody wants to be able to prepare themselves for the worst thing. And I think social media is a place in which people can voice their their fears. They can voice what they are afraid is going to happen. And then if it doesn't happen, you know, that's great. Nobody ever really, you know, remembers. But if they do collapse, 
instead of feeling like you were betrayed or feeling like, you know, you got sucked into a believing in a team that was going to fall, you can point back to it and say, you know, I always knew this was going to happen. Then to what you're speaking to, part of that is just the fact that 162-game schedule, things happen, guys get injured, teams get tired down the stretch. I mean, we see, we see teams catching and teams falling back in the final two weeks of the season quite often. That's why the, the recent talk about you know, baseball expansion and going to pods and maybe going to a 150-game regular season schedule and adding more playoff teams – I don't like that because I think part of part of what I love about baseball is the ability to fight through a 162 game grueling schedule. And so so what you're saying is right. I think there's a lot of teams that fall off late in the season because of course you're going to fall off. It's 162 games. Yeah, absolutely. And I the you know, I I guess I'm getting to the point now where I can say as I get older, but um I I actually don't look at the standings largely more than maybe once a month. Um, and I, I had been pushing on the podcast this this whole thing about Jed Lowry being a guy that the Brewers could go get with the A's, and he had had such a great season. And I put it on Twitter again, kind of as the, the trade season was approaching, and everyone was like, why are the A's going to move anyone? They're, you know, 12 games over 500. I was like, well, when did that happen? And it's just one of those, I think, if you can kind of feel the rhythms of the season and kind of move along and just expect that there are going to be times where it just honestly feels like this team cannot score runs, they're not going to be able to put wins together. And there are times that it just feels like everything is going to just, you know, everything is going to go your way no matter what. And just kind of feeling your way through the season is, I think, a better, a more emotionally stable way, I guess, to go to go about it. But I think you know, I, to think about the Brewers this season. If you look at uh, this, might be a day old, so might not be including Saturday. I don't remember when I looked at it. But if you actually look at the record in April, in June, and July, this team is exactly five hundred. And in May, they had a phenomenal May, and then March, they, they started out, because it was the Padres, they started out 3-0. Um, pretty much their entire stretch that has put them in this position to compete was in May. Every The entire season, they're either one game over 500 now because of Saturday, or they're, they're exactly 500. Um, and it just kind of puts into perspective, you know, we, you had looked, everybody said, you know, this team is collapsing now. But really, it was one really good stretch, and it's been a matter of them just absolutely trying to hang on for dear life. And that's not good, bad, or indifferent, but the vast majority of this season has been just a compendium of ups and downs. And May was the time that the team really was able to make hay. Somehow we have gone about eight minutes without mentioning the trades that were made in the past week, so let's get to them. First off, uh, the Joaquin Sori move. You're adding another arm to the bullpen. This team continues to be a team that if you can get five or so strong innings from your starter, you're going to, on most nights, going to be able to hand it off to the bullpen and hold on to win. What does Soria do for this team? I think it brings flexibility. I think it brings another quality arm to the back end of the bullpen, somebody who's found a lot of success this year. Seems to have made some mechanical adjustments. Uh, he's dropped his arm slot a little bit to be able to give himself a little bit more swing and miss movement. And this is a team that has um, needed some flexibility in, in, in the bullpen because 
if you are going to be able to throw Josh Hader for multiple innings, you can't use him on back-to-back days. Jeremy Jeffers, early in the season when he was so so successful, he was being deployed in kind of a fireman role in which he was coming into the fifth and the sixth innings and getting out of tough, tough spots to be able to put the team in good position to go forward. And Knable obviously, has is, is moved into the ninth inning role. But Soria now gives them the ability to, again, move, move Jeremy Jeffers somewhere else. Use him earlier in the game. You don't need him in the eighth inning if, if Hader's not available. Um, it also allows them, I think, and I don't, this is pure speculation on my point. This is not, you know, anything that I've, I've, I've heard or talked to anybody about. But hypothetically, this would give you the ability to move somebody like Corbin Burns to the rotation, even though he's been so good in the bullpen and they moved him to the bullpen to be able to be that guy. Uh, that would give him, give them the flexibility in another elite arm. If Soria can be that, Corbin Burns could move to the rotation, and that could be an upgrade there as well. The other thing mentioned this past week on the the bullpen, they basically said yeah, Corey Knebel will be used in the ninth inning, but there's going to be times where they don't use him in the ninth inning because he has to work. It, it seemed like the maybe I don't want to use the word excuse, but maybe somewhat of an explanation for him not putting up the numbers this year that he put up last year was not being used quite enough. Having Soria in there probably gives a little bit more flexibility in terms of if they need to use Knebel one day, they can maybe use him in a close game in the seventh or eighth inning that they're winning, knowing that they may have to go with somebody else in the ninth. Yeah, I think this, in some ways, they're trying to be able to move to the bullpen strategy that worked so well early in the season when Knebel went down with the unfortunate injury. And it was something that I think made the bullpen dynamic. It was something that... Um, was interesting and it was obviously effective. And when Knable came back in, it kind of moved everybody into kind of into more predictable roles. Um, and I think this could be a way in which you're starting to see them opening up some avenues to be able to be a little bit more flexible with the bullpen again, especially with leads and being able to deploy Corey Knable differently. The question is whether or not he always needs a clean inning. He feels like he's a clean inning guy, but It'll be interesting to see what they do, you know, when they're willing to use him in non, non-save situations, when they use somebody else in save situations as we go forward, because we've got two months to see how they want to do it. The other trade, it's a, it's a gutsy move by David Stearns because they're adding a bat in the lineup knowing that they'll take a little bit of a step back defensively at second base. They acquire Mike Moustakis. He's going to play third. They move Travis Shaw over to second in his first action at second base on Saturday. He looked fine. He had to make two plays. They were both tough plays, but he's able to make both of them. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen. He hasn't had to turn a double play yet. But this is a, this is a big move, and it, it's, not that, it's not a move that is just kind of that normal get a guy to fill a spot. It's a, it almost feels like a, you know, the, the square peg and the round hole sort of deal, but they're trying to, uh, they're trying to do something to help the club. How do you feel about this Moustakis move? Well, I, as you said, I think it is gutsy because there is going to be so much attention paid to it. Um, everything is going to be under a microscope because everybody is expecting it to be a disaster defensively. But I I have a couple of feelings about it. Number one, I think this team has shown their hand that they're willing to do things like this with Ryan Braun kind of learning on the fly at first base. It was something that they just said this this was the best way to optimize the offense, and they were willing to allow him to learn on the fly. Um, and whether or not that was always successful, you know, is kind of 
up in the air. I think actually Braun has been a little bit better than I expected uh, at first base. I think that they're looking for somewhat of the same response from Moustakis. Uh, or not Moustakis, but, uh, but Shaw at second base. But the other thing I think what this really shows is just how poor the production was at second base for the club. That taking somebody who has never played defense at second base and saying that, you know what, even if he is kind of poor defensively, it's a net upgrade. Because uh, the Brewers, their overall production at second base has been uh, replacement level. Um, is is if for wins above replacement for people who look at that, it is 0.0 this year. And that means, for people who don't know what that means, is um, is j- take anybody random from AAA and plug that person in at second base. That's the kind of production that you would expect. And in some ways, that's what Nate Orff was, is he was the journeyman in, in AAA, and they moved him up, and that was kind of a signal of what was going on. But offensively, the overall production at second base was 32% below average, fourth worst in Major League Baseball. And Travis Shaw is obviously going to have a better bat than that. And for that not to be a net upgrade, his defense has to be so bad for that to not work. Um, So I think that in some ways is not so much, maybe it is some confidence in Travis Shaw that he can do the work at second base. I don't, I think people are overstating how bad he could be, but, um, but overall, I think what it is is uh, highlighting how poor the the second base uh, position has been for the Brewers this year. The other thing I don't feel like being mentioned, and maybe you can say, well, two completely different things, but to me it's not because it's all happening at the same time. Orlando Arcee is the starting shortstop for this club again. So you're lifting mm-hmm. your overall defense up by a ton at shortstop. So while second base maybe takes a little bit of a hit, you're going way, way up at shortstop. So at the end of the day, against some of the parts, you're probably a better defensive team right now with Orlando Arcee at shortstop and Travis Shaw at second than you were with whoever at second and whoever at short. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And I think one of the the, the things that Orlando Arcia at shortstop allows them to do, if they want to be a little bit more creative with their shifting, they can move him so he can actually cover, you know, the kind of expect him to cover the, the area behind second base because Travis Shaw most likely is not going to have the mobility to range up the middle like that. If you can position Orlando Arcia a little bit differently and be a little bit more creative with that, um, you can use the fact that you have a premier defensive shortstop to be able to make up for some of the the shortcomings there because I think you're right I think I think Travis Shaw what we've seen in a lot of respects is exactly what he is at third base to the ball the balls he can get to he'll be solid the question is all about range and it's all about how he's going to be able to turn at second base how he's going to be able to to take a, a throw down from the catcher things like that and we don't know those things yet but in terms of uh, in terms of range we know that that's going to be an issue, and you're exactly right to say that Orlando Arcia is somebody that can actually try to alleviate that issue a little bit. Last topic for you before we uh, let you go. Uh, trade deadline coming up uh, very, very soon. What are your predictions, and what do you feel like is going to happen with this club? David Stearns has said that he thinks he might still have another move or two in him. What are you thinking is going to happen with this team prior to the All-Star break? It, it really feels like they're still going to go and get a pitcher. Whether that is going to be a reliever or a starter, I'm not sure. But as we had been hearing a lot of discussions about um, the Moustakis rumors, we had also heard that the Brewers are still in really active conversations with, with the Orioles. The Orioles still have guys like Brad Brock. 
who is uh, is going to be hypothetically available as he is, is com- coming to the end of his contract. But it sounded like the, uh, Ken Rosenthal dropped the name Kevin Gaussman as well. And those are guys that could come in from the Orioles and, and make uh, an addition. We've heard some rumors about, you know, Matt Harvey, that the team has had discussions there. We had heard that maybe the Brewers were in on J.A. Happ. But it sounds like they're still going after another arm. The question is how much, like how good does that starting pitcher need to be? Because Matt Harvey has been okay. I mean, he's he's still not missing very many bats. He's still, you know, still has some command troubles. And yeah, he's throwing harder, but it's not transitioning into translating into strikeouts yet. And there's a question how sustainable his recent success is. Adding him to the rotation and taking out somebody like Wade Miley is that really much of a difference? No. I mean, it doesn't feel like it, right? Yeah. Um, but like bringing in somebody like Kevin Gaussman, now that feels like to me you're having somebody who's controllable and somebody that is going to be able to make a pretty big upgrade. Don't they almost have to find somebody that they can say either is clearly better than everybody in the rotation or at the very least as good as whoever they view kind of as that top one or two guy in the rotation? Yeah, I think, yes, I think you're 100% right. And I think... We've seen uh, front office concerns. They're not going to be kind of. They're not going to be pressured or they're make because they feel like they have. To. We saw this in the offseason, and this was my argument about Alex Cobb and and uh, Lance Lynn that it was that that wasn't adding anything that the team didn't already have. Like they they could be really they could be solid. They could be bad. And the team adding another one wasn't going to be able to needle anywhere. And if they did add somebody, what they really needed was a top-end guy, and that's probably why you heard them in on Darvish. Um, but Lance Lynn, Alex Cobb, they turned out to be pretty poor. And the person that they did sign was Shasin. And as we saw again last night, he's been arguably the best pitcher on the team yep. uh, in terms of starters. So I, I think that I'm not nervous that the that the organization is going to go and add a starting pitcher just because they feel like they have to. I think they've shown us pretty well that they understand exactly what you say, that if they do add somebody, it has to be a clear upgrade, which is why I've kind of been surprised that they've talked about Matt Harvey, because I'm not sure he is a clear upgrade. People who are listening to this obviously enjoy listening to podcasts, and you uh, you host one, the Milwaukee's Tailgate Podcast. Uh, give me a plug for that. Also, I know you guys are doing some stuff on uh, Patreon as well recently, so uh, give listeners an idea of how they can uh, take in all aspects of Milwaukee's Tailgate Podcast. Yeah, so you can follow us on on Twitter, MKE Tailgate, uh, or you know just just search Milwaukee's Tailgate anywhere you get your podcast. That should show up, no problem. Uh, but we also do have. Uh, a Patreon uh, that can be found in the, the 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 Twitter bio for MKE Tailgate, and the biggest thing that we have with the Patreon is our monthly minor league uh, podcast, which we've actually been getting um, different. We've gotten people from Baseball Prospectus. We've gotten people uh, from 2080 Baseball to talk about the recent drafts and give us some scouting reports on what's going on. And we actually have um, an interview lined up with. Uh, uh, a Brewers prospect who we will, I, I think, will be able to announce in the next week, um, who's going to be joining us for a longer uh, interview for the for the upcoming podcast as well for subscribers. So um, 
we're going to hopefully expand that and give some people some in-depth news for people who feel like they really want to get some in-depth coverage of the team from top to bottom that will be continuously adding interviews and then people can put up listening with us uh, every week as well. JP, great stuff. Also, I encourage folks to follow you on Twitter as well, at JP underscore Breen. Always good to catch up with you. Thanks so much for taking the time. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. All right, going to pull kind of a uh, Zach Morris timeout real quick right here coming out of the interview with uh, J.P. Brain. Just want to make sure, I, I said it at the beginning of uh, of the podcast or the beginning of the interview, I believe, uh, that we were conducting that interview prior to action on Sunday. So as you're listening to it, you may have uh, heard him make reference to uh, Brad Brock from the Baltimore Orioles and possibility there. Brock did, between us recording that interview and when you're listening to it now and even Sunday night it was during the course of Sunday afternoon he ended up getting traded from Baltimore to Atlanta uh, just want to be very clear don't want to throw JP underneath the bus want to be very clear that uh, at the time of recording he had not yet been traded so it's not like uh, we didn't know what was going on right there but we recorded that interview up prior to the Brewers finale against the Giants on Sunday afternoon so that's our quick sidebar let's get back into the regular portion of the podcast the future of the brewers organization has never been more important than it is right now it's time to get an inside look at what's taking place throughout the brewers minor league affiliates as we go down on the farm brewers extra news the podcast is powered by wtmj mobile it is time to go down on the farm and uh, we always enjoy being able to uh, bring in some of the various uh, experts on the Brewers minor league system who uh, watch them on an everyday basis. You can read this guy over at uh, BP Milwaukee, one of our uh, favorite sites to have uh, folks on from. He is uh, Noah Knobs. Noah, always appreciate you taking some time with us. How are you doing? I'm great, Matt. Thanks. Yeah, let's. Um, I want to start with you. Kind of, this is. Not just minor league oriented. This has some uh, has, has some impact on the big leagues as well. But we've seen the major league team make a couple moves in the last week or so. Uh, they acquire Joaquin Soria. They lose uh, Cody Medeiros. They also lose uh, Wilbur Perez, who was a guy who wasn't really considered a prospect, but uh, was a Latin American player who maybe would turn into something. There were definitely some people who were very high on his potential. And then in the Moustakas trade, sometimes we don't think of Brett Phillips and Jorge Lopez so much as prospects because they've spent so much time at the major league level. But both those guys were still prospects, still in the top 30, according to MLB Pipeline. How do you feel that these trades that the Brewers made in the last week or so have uh, impacted the depth of the minor league system? Well, you know, it definitely thins out the depth a little bit. But with the way that the Brewers have built their minor league system over the last few years, I think it's able to uh, absorb those losses pretty well. So I can't really take issue uh, at all with either move. I thought it was kind of interesting uh, that Phillips and Lopez went back for Moustakas since uh, they have both seen Major League time uh, this year and are, uh, you know, big league-ready guys. Uh, but I understand that they're both kind of blocked uh, here in Milwaukee, and uh, I, I think it was a good move. And uh, the system set up uh, such that down... Uh, for the Sky Sox, uh, you've got Tyron Taylor and the recently uh, re-signed Reimer Liriano uh, able to um, sort of fill that role uh, that Phillips had of maybe uh, having a 
future as a productive fourth outfielder for Milwaukee. Is this the time where maybe the Brewers' depth in their minor league system can also play out in the sense that a guy like Cody Medeiros might not have been able to find himself onto the 40-man roster, so you were going to leave him available in all likelihood for another team to be able to pluck him. There's other guys like that in the organization that are coming up on the point where either get added to the 40-man or another team can go grab you if they're willing to do that. Is this maybe that time where you can throw guys like that into trades knowing that, yeah, you don't want to give up on them, but at the same time there's a pretty good chance they wouldn't be in the organization next year anyways? Yeah, absolutely. I think that definitely explains uh, why Medeiros went over uh, in the Soria trade. And there are a couple of other guys, uh, as you mentioned, to whom that could apply. Uh, maybe one to watch is, uh, I think, Luis Ortiz is, uh, needs to be protected um, at this offseason. And I know he's got tremendous potential and seems at times like his stuff is uh, really sharp and big league ready and then other times he'll kind of get rocked by uh, double a hitters so and he's had some trouble staying healthy as well uh so i think that's definitely the philosophy that they're using they're looking at these guys who uh have futures uh, in the major leagues uh they're seeing a pretty crowded roster situation and thinking that they may as well uh, cash in some of those prospects uh, for big league upgrades while they can rather than risk just losing them for nothing uh, in the winter. We don't know what's going to happen. By the time some people are probably listening to this podcast, we're probably past the uh, trade deadline, so uh, we'll, we'll see what goes down. But so far, two trades. Keston Harris there on the organization, Corbin Burns, Freddie Peralta, Corey Ray, guys like that. Uh, it's I would have to think that the return to get rid of one of those guys would have to be pretty much insane. Are, are any of those guys on your kind of quote-unquote absolutely in no world do we trade these guys list? Well, that's a good question. I try not to really uh, keep a list like that of the three. Uh, I'm, of course, really excited about Keston since he plays a position uh, of organizational need and has been uh, just doing incredible things with the bat this year. Um, As far as the other guys, I mean, Corbin Burns and Freddie Peralta have both stepped up to play pretty important roles in the majors this season, so I'd be fairly shocked if either of them were dealt. Uh, So they're, I guess, as close to untouchable, those three, uh, as as I could get. And I think you're right. In order to move any of those guys, the return coming back would have to be a a massive upgrade, probably a frontline controllable starting pitcher. All right, let's start going through some of the minor leagues and just hit on some of the storylines throughout the different uh, levels. And this first guy I want to talk about at AAA, he's not a prospect, uh, but he's just a good story because of what he's been through. Uh, Ryan Valeriano rejoining the organization. So far at Colorado Springs, he's been okay. He's hit a couple home runs. His average isn't great. But do you at least kind of appreciate this story when you consider what he's been through and what happened in that spring training game and everything that he's able to rejoin the organization? Organization. Absolutely. I was so, so glad uh, when they re-signed him and brought him back in. So he, he's got a lot of tools uh, to like. Uh, he saw a little bit of big league action last season for the White Sox, uh, but he never really got going with the bat. I think they only gave him maybe 50 or so plate appearances. But he's got a nice swing, moderate power showing up this year, definitely in AAA. 
Uh, and he's quick enough both with the bat and on his feet that I think he could settle into a really nice role, uh, probably as a reserve, as, as a good fourth outfielder uh, for the foreseeable future in Milwaukee. Uh, as Kane and Yelich continue to plan out their contracts, but he's 27 now. Uh, so I'm really hoping that he gets a nice look in September and is still with the team next spring because I see a productive big league player in Liriano, and I was really glad that they brought him back in. Nate Orff had turned into such a fan favorite, especially amongst the you know the people on social media because of what he had done. And then he got up to the big league level. Now, admittedly, he really didn't get a major opportunity, and a lot of times it's hard for guys to uh, really break through when they're getting just sporadic at bats. But uh, do you, has any view changed maybe on Nate Orff and his ability to have success at the big league level with the fact that he did struggle in his opportunities given this year? You know, not really. Uh, he only got into, what, a dozen or so games and uh, didn't even start all of those. And he did scuffle for sure. Uh, but I sort of liked what I saw from him as far as just his uh, approach at the plate. I thought it was okay. And uh, he's he's clearly better than a, than a 100 hitter uh, in the majors. I'm not sure what his path to regular playing time is like uh, in Milwaukee, but I, I still think that he has at least the tools to be an interesting uh, utility player uh, f- for some team, whether it's the Brewers or not. From a pitching standpoint, uh, seemingly another favorite of people who follow the minor leagues uh, through social media is Nick Ramirez, and he's finally getting this opportunity, more of an extended opportunity at AAA. He's pitching at Colorado Springs. He's pitching in a league in the Pacific Coast League that, for the most part, is one of the toughest professional leagues to pitch in. And he's got a 3.81 ERA, having appeared in 12 games. It's yeah, He continues to perform at every level, and I feel like sometimes there's doubt that he can be a guy who's going to do it at the big league level, but you got to give him credit that he does continue to perform. Yeah, absolutely. He has been a great story. I've loved following him since the conversion to the mound. Again, though, he's a guy that it's... Uh, it's really easy to sort of dream on and uh, and follow his story, but he's going to have a really tough time finding his way onto the big league roster in Milwaukee. And I love what he's doing down in uh, in the minors. He was terrific in Biloxi this year. He struggled a little bit more in Colorado Springs. He's lost some strikeouts, and I think his control has been a little bit erratic uh, since moving up, but that's, you know, it's his first time pitching at AAA. I think he's doing a really nice job. And uh, gosh, yeah, I hope he finds his way onto the 25-man roster at some point. Uh, Let's jump to AA Biloxi, and we can't talk about Biloxi without talking about um, a guy who's just on a tear right now in Corey Ray. In the month of July, 11 home runs and 27 RBIs as we're talking on uh, Sunday night at about 8.15. Has has it clicked in now? I mean, we've been waiting since the moment he got drafted by the organization. It seems like it's been more disappointment than anything else. He's he's a two ninety nine hitter, so he's basically hitting three hundred with all these home runs. Is this real? Has, has it clicked for him, or do we need to continue to wait and see how the rest of the year plays out? Yeah, I don't know if I'd go quite as far as to say that it's all clicked, but he's definitely finally flashing the uh, the tools that led the Brewers to select him fifth overall a couple years ago. Uh, I think my biggest concern about Corey Ray is the hit tool, of course. Uh, he's 
showing great power this year, which is wonderful. Uh, but I think there's some concern that his swing is a bit long. Maybe he's uh, selling out a little bit for home runs, uh, of which he has hit plenty, and that's really exciting. Uh, but I'd like to see uh, a little more refinement of the hit tool uh, before going all aboard uh, the Corey <laughs> Ray hype train again. Uh, he's still striking out close to 30% of the time. I think he's around 28% or so uh, for the year, and I'd love to see that number uh, continue to edge down. Last year, it was up over 30%. So he's made some progress, and I like the fact that he's making that adjustment. I'm going to hold off maybe till the end of the year before getting really, really excited, uh, but it's looking good for, for Corey Ray. I think, really nice season. Excuse me. I think this is the first time in the history of this podcast where we've talked about a team that has Keston Hira on it and not talked about Hira first. That's how good Corey Ray was in the month of July. But let's get to Keston Hira. Just continues to hit, uh, hanging out around 300 from an average standpoint. Uh, it's shown a little bit of pop, not a ton of it. That's not his game. But, I mean, what more can you say about this guy that just every single time he's given a challenge, he just continues to uh, to hit and hit well? Yeah, really hard not to be excited for Keston here, I think. Uh, he has responded so well to being pushed really aggressively by the Brewers. It wouldn't surprise me to see him up in the big leagues uh, like early next season. Um, and, yeah, you know, he's down there in Biloxi. The big concern about him has been his defense, and I think he's showing that he can handle second base okay. He, he's not going to be a perennial gold glover over there. Sometimes I think he's a little iffy with his footwork still, but... He's not going to be a butcher over there either. Uh, And there's so much to love with his bat and his swing, elite bat speed. He's having a really, really great year. I'm so excited to, to see where it takes him. If I was running things, and I'm not, and people who are running things are much smarter than I am, but if I was running things, I would push to get here a, a few weeks, maybe a month, and we're coming up on that very quickly, at AAA this season with the idea that he could then start at AAA next year, you can get past Super 2, and then you can start evaluating whether or not uh, you want to call him up. But I would love to see him get a little bit of AAA time this year and start the season next year at AAA. Would you be on board with that basic idea? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's responded so well to every challenge that's been thrown his way so far. Uh, I don't really see downside he's having a lot of success in double a uh i think yeah i think he's ready i think he's earned it let's move him up good we're both on the same page on that uh luke sersic guy who's uh 13 home runs this year at biloxi that's a tough place to hit so that 13 home run total it's it's not Corey ray's 22 but there's you know it's a it's a nice total where, as Ersig kind of came onto the scene a couple years ago and has continued to move up, uh, for you, stock up, stock down, how do you view Lucas Ersig? Uh, I think he's, he's, he's pretty much holding steady for me right now. So he's like right in that kind of, I guess, second tier of uh, Brewer's prospects. Um, maybe a, a little bit below Corey Ray, but, you know, somewhere in that vicinity. Uh, and... I like what I see from him. Uh, he's sort of coming on strong in the second half for the second year in a row, uh, which I think is great. I think that's a sign that he is able to make adjustments mid-season and uh, and learn on the fly. He's hitting over 300 in the second half, and I think he's hit something like eight of his homers 
since the double-A All-Star break. So I, I see a lot to like in Lucas Ersek. He's got his batting average up, uh, I think, into the 260s uh, after sliding down around the 230s or so uh, earlier this season. And he's got great power from the left side, cannon of an arm at third base, good defender. I like him a lot. I think uh, he got fans really excited uh, with his spring training performance a year or two ago. Uh, and he was never going to live up to that because I think he hit something like 400 that spring. Uh, but he's he's making some strides. He's doing a really nice job, and I think he's definitely on track uh, to be a solid player in the big leagues in another year and a half or so. Yeah, I always view that group at AA as kind of that next class. When you get to AAA, I feel like you're you're basically there. You can get called up at any moment, and guys do get called up from Double A. But for the most part, you know that next wave of players is generally that group that's at Double A at any given moment. And from a position player standpoint, the three guys we just talked about—Keston Hira, Corey Ray, Lucas Ersig—those are that guy. Those are those guys that are in that next group. Hira probably gets the first opportunity, but that's that six of your uh, three of your top six prospects in the organization are that next group that's going to get to the big leagues from a position player standpoint that's not bad not bad at all and don't forget just behind them like uh, another tier or so down uh there's a, a lot more intriguing depth at double a so there's jake gatewood he just hurt himself uh and is out for the year uh but he still has Incredible power uh, if he can get his his hit tool together a little bit more. And uh, Troy Stokes Jr. in the outfield, he's been slumping lately, but there was a period a couple of weeks ago when if you looked at his batting line and Corey Ray's batting line, they're almost identical. So they've both got good power, good speed. Uh, and Stokes, he's unheralded, but he's a year younger as well, I think. Uh, so he's someone to keep an eye on, too. Let's go to Carolina. And this is a Mudcats team. I... You look at these; it doesn't have those, you know, top level prospects like some of the other uh, teams of the organization. But definitely some inter- some interesting individuals. Starting on the pitching side, Phil Bickford is somebody that people continue to watch and want and want to see some success from him. But he's had so many issues and off field stuff. He's finally at a point where we're seeing him pitch, and uh, his numbers aren't great right now. Five point eight five ERA. How do you judge though a guy like Bickford who's been on the path that he's been on, and now for the first time really in a couple of years, he's finally getting that opportunity to get out on the mound. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad he's just on the mound and healthy and staying out of trouble. Um, he's a tough one. His his stuff sort of uh, has been inconsistent throughout his minors career, so it's been uh, it's looked really great at some points, and it's sort of taken a step back at other times. And this year it's been a struggle for him. Uh, he's still punching out. A lot of batters, though, uh, so that's encouraging. Struggling some with command. I don't know. I think he, he's definitely not someone that you just write off or give up on because he's shown so much talent uh, throughout his minor league career uh, through all the ups and downs. Uh, but I'd like to see a little bit more consistency from him. I'd like to see his uh, his stuff consistently sharp and crisp looking, and that. Hasn't quite been there for him this year, but I'm still hopeful. I know this guy is still super young. Last year at Wisconsin, he was one of the youngest players, and it's tough to be one of the youngest players in a league when you're a catcher. Uh, I've been pretty high on Mario Feliciano. It seems like his stock has dropped a bit when you look at some of the top 30 lists. He's not hitting. He's a a 200 hitter uh, right now. Any concern about Feliciano's inability to hit at the moment? 
Um, you know, not too much. A little. He's he's struggled with some injuries this year, though. Uh, and I think, and if you look at just like his last four or five games or so, he started to turn things around a little bit with the bat. He had a day uh, over the weekend, I think, where he went four for five uh, for Carolina. So that's encouraging. And as you say, he's so young. He's uh, this is his age nineteen season, uh, and and he's looking good behind the plate too. So I think uh, there's still a lot of room for optimism uh, with Feliciano. I think he'll put it together. He's only had about, I don't know, 100 or so plate appearances this year, I think. Uh, so I think it'll start to click for him. Tristan Lutz is the number 8 prospect in the organization as we jump down to the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers. 91 games so far this year, 247, 10 home runs, 46 RBIs. A guy who's uh, continuing to try to, uh, we've used the term, put it together. I don't know if that's the right thing. In the month of July, he's up to 284 for the month. Is this a guy that, from what you've seen, has just continued to get better and better seemingly on on an every day, every week, every month basis? Yeah, I love his attitude and his work ethic. I think he's uh, really dedicated to uh, getting the most out of himself, and that's shown this year. He struggled so much in April. I think some of that is probably attributable to the weather. He's a guy. He's from Texas, uh, and April in Appleton was miserable. Uh, so he was pretty rough uh, throughout the month, but every month after that, He's looked good uh, and become better and better, and he's starting to get to his power more often, and he has incredible raw power. Uh, So I'm really intrigued by Tristan Lutz. He's got a big arm. It's going to work out really well for him in right field. Uh, I think his stock for me is uh, is up. I think he's uh, right there around... Uh, like Corey Ray and Lucas Ersag uh, in that wave of prospects. And frankly, I think if he uh, experiences some sustained success, he could move through the minors pretty quickly. He's got really, really loud tools. I really like this kid. Bryce Terang, as we go into some of the short season and some of the recent draftees, Bryce Terang, the top draft pick uh, this year, he's playing uh, in Maryville in the Arizona Summer League with the uh, with the Maryville Brewers. What I... I don't judge these guys on numbers at all. At the, you know, when when you're talking about short season guys who are just drafted, there's so many things going on, and it's so tough to really evaluate. But what what have you thought about uh, Terang's success so far? I've been uh, really encouraged. I think the thing that has encouraged me most is that in uh, in his uh, like 40 or so at bats. Uh, he's only struck out four times, and he's drawn eight walks. So if you are going to judge a kid uh, from some rookie league numbers, I think that's a really nice place to start. It shows that he's got a good approach at the plate. Uh, he's also been showing off his speed. He's got, I think, seven stolen bases in uh, a dozen or so games, uh, and he's hitting three fifty. Uh, so I'm optimistic that he fell – uh, that far to the Brewers, more out of just prospect fatigue than any uh, like skill erosion or, or failure to make adjustments. I'm really encouraged by his start. Looking forward to seeing more from him. How do you go? Uh, it, what I was kind of alluding to a moment ago, you'll have a fifth-year senior out of college who goes undrafted, and he goes and plays short-season ball, 
and absolutely dominate because he's a man, but he's going to be out of pro baseball in a couple years. And then you'll have an 18-year-old who was drafted uh, out of high school in, in the first five or six rounds who really struggles, yet he, you know, they're going to have longer-term success. Isn't it t- really tough to kind of evaluate things at the short season level, especially right after the draft, when you do have some situations of you know, some 18-year-olds against 23-year-olds and things like that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so you're absolutely right. Uh, age is so important down there. It's, uh, you know, it, it's nice when a college kid goes down and completely obliterates rookie league pitching and puts up really big numbers. Uh, but I definitely put a lot more stock into the really young high school kids who are able to hold their own down there. I'm reminded of uh, uh, Ronnie Gideon, who is a yeah. semi-recent draft pick. He went down and just hit the cover off the ball in rookie league, struggled at Class A, and was actually released earlier this season. Um, so anytime you see a college hitter going down and putting up huge numbers in the rookie leagues, I think you kind of have to take that with a grain of salt. Yeah, I, and on the other side, I look at somebody like Scott Sunich, who is, uh, I believe he's a Washington State product. I don't know. I can't remember if he was drafted or undrafted, but he, he was a late draftee if he was drafted. At Helena, he's 2-0 and with a 2.77 ERA, 22 strikeouts, 9 walks. That's great, but we, we don't really know what that means. Yeah, and without like actually seeing the pitch, I don't have uh, much uh, insight to give there, but I think definitely uh, temper the enthusiasm a little bit. That's a great ERA. It's going to mean a lot more if he's able to repeat that success uh, when he's pitching you know, in, uh, in Appleton or in Carolina. No, mentioned that you're part of the uh, the great staff over there at uh, BP Milwaukee. Talk me through and talk the listeners through everything going on at BP Milwaukee and uh, how they can uh, find all your content. Sure, uh, there's a lot of great content going up there every week. Uh, we've got a team of I think five or six guys, uh, and it just uh, runs the gamut. So there's like really uh, close, meticulous statistical analysis. Uh, that you'll find there. And there's also sort of like this high level, like more overarching analysis of the brewer's season and the organization. Uh, it's milwaukee.locals.baseballperspectus.com. And I hope your listeners will uh, head over and read through it. I think they'll really like what they see there. Yeah, it's it's great stuff. We get uh, we get Nick on fairly often on the podcast as well. I love talking to him. So uh, great to get you guys on, and, and really appreciate you taking some uh, time. This was uh, this was fun. Of course, thanks for chatting, Matt. Noah Dobbs joining us here on Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. And that is just about going to uh, wrap up the program. Uh, Brewers are going to remain on the West Coast for the next four games. Again, as always, uh, we are recording this on Sunday night. So after taking three out of four against San Francisco, they are going to uh, go to Los Angeles for a four-game series that is going to begin on Monday night. Four straight night games for the Brewers. Going to be a tough test against a Dodgers team that I view as the best team in the National League. Once they're done with that, it's going to be a quick turnaround. They're going to play Thursday night. Uh, the Dodgers did move the game up an hour on Thursday, so it's going to be an 8 o'clock start as opposed to a 9-10 start. But uh, that's going to be a quick turnaround because when the Brewers are done playing that game on Thursday night in Los Angeles, they're then going to have to fly and they'll have a Friday night game 
uh, against the Rockies. But as they get into that Rocky series, that's going to finally wrap up this period of just a really tough month of July where outside of the All-Star break, there are no off days. And off days are going to start coming a lot more after that. And I think things begin to slot in a little bit better at that point in time as well. So that is, uh, that's good to see moving forward. I want to say thank you to uh, both of my guests today, J.P. Breen joining us, Noah Knobs joining us, and uh, thank you for being tuned in. As always, if you got any feedback, you can uh, tweet at me, at Matt Pauly on air. You can also drop me an email, matt.pauly at wtmj.com. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week with another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. We are powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.